Thanks for listening to the Community Bible Church Sermon Podcast. Pastor Dan Strutz here. Our desire is to connect people with Christ and community. For more info or to contact us, please visit cbcmountainlake.com. I'm a little bit confused this morning. I thought I heard something about a football season that was still going on. Is that right? Oh, man. You know, actually, the uh, football season ended last week, right? I grew up in Kansas, and so, you know, the Kansas City Chiefs is as close as uh, we have to anything in terms of professional sports. But in reality, they're actually in Missouri when they lose. So just so you know, they're actually from Kansas City, Missouri, right, J.D.? You know, probably, right? Yeah. So, you know, today I'm a little bit jealous that uh, I don't have a team to root for this day. But, uh, you know, we've suffered long as Kansas City Chiefs fans. I don't know if you understand the pain that we've been through. But um, I tell you what, there's, there's two short stories I'll tell you about that. Uh, one was I think that we were actually playing a team, the Vikings, I think. They were wearing purple and gold, right? Is that the right team? They actually came to Arrowhead Stadium. And in Arrowhead Stadium, there's actually a railroad track that goes near the stadium there. And it was getting close to halftime, but it wasn't quite halftime yet. And the train went by and honked its horn, right? Blew, the, blew its horn. And the Vikings all left the field. And three plays later and two penalties, the Chiefs finally scored. So that's one story. That's the true No, it's not true. But I do have one semi-true story. At least I was, it was told to me that it was the truth. This man uh, had two Kansas City Chiefs tickets, and he had them laying on his dash in his car, and he went to the, the gas station. He was just going to go in, pay for his gas, and he was going to get a candy bar and a Coke and get on the way to the game. And he forgot to lock his car. You know what happened? Yeah, you're right. When he came back, there were two more tickets and a parking pad. So... <laughs> Now, why is it that we get so wrapped up with the identity of our team, our community? I mean, whenever I see somebody wearing Chiefs colors and, you know, supporting the Chiefs, I get excited because there's some connection that I have with them because of a sports team that will inevitably let me down. I get excited because there's something that connects me to those people. There's there's community. And for us as followers of Jesus Christ, how we define community and, and, and what it looks like, we have to be very careful with that definition. And in today's text, I'm going to be preaching to you from Luke 19. It's the story of Zacchaeus. Now, if you have your Bibles, turn them on. Uh, flip to that page or whatever it is. I don't know. Do you have pew Bibles? Does somebody tell me what page number Luke 19 is? And just call it out. But find your Bibles because I don't have it on the screen, I guess, this morning. I, I didn't know if we would do PowerPoint or if that was allowed here. I didn't know. But in Luke chapter 19, we have a very familiar story about a man by the name of Zacchaeus. Now, we all know that popular song that hit the... Uh, the pop charts for so many years. We know that Zacchaeus was a, and a, that's right. See, we got all the words. 
We know that he was a wee little man. We know that uh, he climbed up a... How is it that we know all these facts about a guy by the name of Zacchaeus? Do you know the backstory of Zacchaeus? How did he get to be up that tree in the first place? Well, Luke writes for us a collection of stories that he wants us to understand in terms of who Jesus is. And so actually what I'd like for you to do, take your Bibles and turn back to Luke chapter 18. And right there in verse 9, it says that he also told a parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. They had the right team. They were part of the best team. They were the Pharisees. And it says two men went up into the temple to pray, and one Pharisee and the other was a tax collector. And this where, if you were in vaudeville, you would have the boos and the hisses, right? Whenever we say Pharisee, you're supposed to go boo, right? Because they were the villains. They were the ones who set the bar pretty high as far as who was allowed in to God's kingdom. And you've met some of these people, haven't you? We've met them where the people tell us that in order to be a good Christian, to be acceptable by God, we have to live at a pretty high standard, don't we? And yet we all know the scripture that tells us that if we sin in one little thing, that we're all equal, we're all sinners is what we're called. People who have missed the mark. And I don't know about you, but I think I missed the mark several times, you know, even this morning, since I've gotten up this morning. You know how hard it is for us to adjust our cruise control from going into, from South Dakota over into Minnesota? Why don't you guys get with it? Come on. We can do 80 mile an hour, and we know that uh, we can fudge that just a little bit, right? My, My daughter is a, or was a, a, an attorney, and uh, she was vis- visiting with a highway patrolman in the court uh, foyer there, and she asked him, just came up to him and said, so what's the deal with the speed limit? When do you pull us over? I mean, do we have to do exactly the speed limit, or is there some grace? And, you know, she uh, asked him in such a way that he felt compelled to answer, and he said, this is his standard, He says, eight, you're fine. If you're eight miles over the speed limit, you're fine. But nine, you're mine. Now you're all thinking, aren't you? Huh? So was I. And then I thought, now wait a minute, that's rather arbitrary, isn't it? That was what this one patrolman said. But that's not necessarily true of every patrolman. Right? And to be honest, we're told as Christians, we are to be the laws of the land. Right? So today I put my cruise control back down where it was supposed to be. And this Pharisee, he was kind of like that in some ways. He says the two men went into the temple to pray, and one Pharisee and the other a tax collector. And the Pharisee standing by himself prayed thus God, I thank you that I'm not like other men extortioners, unjust adulterers, or even like this tax collector. Aren't you glad I'm on your side, God? I'm the star of your team. I'm the one who's keeping all of the rules and all of the regulations. I am the one who is walking as perfect as I can be. And I'm not like Dan Strutz, right? Or somebody else. I think that's what he said. 
It's not in your text, but it is in mine. But I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But this tax collector is supposed to go boo. Remember? Remember? Standing far off would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but he beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And Jesus says this of the two men. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Now, where will they be humbled and where will they be exalted? Jesus is speaking about in his kingdom. He's speaking about what is it that God looks for and appreciates. When my son Craig was in high school, one of the things that I wanted to continue on, I had a, we had a tradition. My dad, uh, we would buy an old junk car, and he would train me on the mechanics of a car, and we rebuilt that car, and that was my first car, was a car that my dad and I brought back to life. And I found out all I could about transmissions and engines and gasoline and fuel filters. And I learned a lot by putting my hands on that. And I'll tell you what, a 1960 Ford Falcon four-door, now that was some car back in the day, right? No, it wasn't then either. I paid $65 for it. I think that's what I got for it when I finally sold it. But that was my first car. But my son, Craig, didn't want a Ford Falcon. I was hoping at least he would get a Mustang or a Camaro or so I could sort of live through him a little bit and finally have a muscle car, right? That's what I wanted. But he decided that he wanted a Volkswagen bus. <laughs> and so we found him a Volkswagen bus. Well, you know what was interesting is that as we drove that bus and as we got into the bus culture, and there is one, by the way, all of a sudden, that's all we could see on the highways was a number of buses that were usually rusting in some farmer's yard there. But we saw a lot of the buses because our eyes were trained to look for them. So what is it that God looks for? What is it that his eye is trained to see? And he speaks about this humility of heart, not the rightness of our perfect life, but the humility, the understanding that He is God and that all of us are, in fact, sinners. Now, that's the beginning paragraph of the story about Zacchaeus. You want to hear the concluding paragraph? I was once told that good sermons have a great beginning and a great end, and hopefully they're close together, right? Yeah. Well, here's the ending. It's actually found in Luke chapter 19. And it's found in the beginning in verse 11. And it says, As they heard these things, he proceeded to tell them a final parable because he was near to Jerusalem. Now what does it mean that he was near to Jerusalem? That means that he was on his way to crucifixion. And he was intent on going that direction. And it says, And because they supposed that the kingdom of God was to appear immediately when he came to Jerusalem, that he was going to overthrow the Romans, and once again there was going to be this Davidic rule, and all the politics and everything was going to come under a righteous king. How many of you would vote for that, right? Yeah. That's what they anticipated. And then it says that Jesus tells them this parable. 
A nobleman went to a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and then return. And calling ten of his servants, he gave them ten minas. How many of you have ten minas in your wallet today? Anybody? You have one mina in your wallet today? You're probably saying, I don't know exactly what a mina is. How many of you know what you made last year? Got it in your head? Now divide it by four. That's what a mina would be. Three months of your wages. I hope you're not carrying that much cash with you, but if you are, we're taking another offering. Okay? But it says that each and every one of them received one mina. Now I'm going to skip ahead a little bit, and we know how this kind of ends. We know that at one point, the master comes back, and the servants come back, and they say, you gave me one mina. Now, this is different than the story of the talents in, in Matthew, but in this account, Jesus' parable, the, they all received one mina, one life. And it says, look, I got one, but I brought you ten. Another one comes, and he says, you gave me one, and I brought you Another one says, you gave me one and I'm giving you back one because I've I've kept it hidden. I haven't expanded upon what you have given me. So if we know the beginning and we know the end, what's the middle? You want the middle now? Look at the middle with me. I'm going to take you back to Matthew, excuse me, Luke 18. In verse 31, is the point of the story. It says, In taking the twelve, he said to them, See, we're going to Jerusalem, and everything that is written about the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished. This is from God. For he will be delivered over to the Gentiles, he will be mocked and shamefully treated and spit upon, and after the flog, after flogging him, they will kill him. Can you stop there? And on the third day, he will rise. But they understood none of these things, and the saying was hidden from them, and they did not grasp what was said. Why did Jesus go to the cross? Was it so that he could have a righteous group of people who on the outside did the right things? Or was it more that he came to seek and to save the lost and to pay the penalty that would keep them from coming in? In the story of the tax collector and the Pharisee, the Pharisee says, I am in, I've done all of the right things, but this guy over here, there is no way he can get in because he doesn't have necessarily the right theology because if he did, there's no way that he could be a tax collector for the Roman government. So in the midst of this, Jesus tells four stories, or the gospel writer Luke gives us four stories. The first one we find in Luke 18, verse 15. I'm bouncing you all around, right? That's to keep you awake, by the way. It says, now they were bringing even infants to him that he might touch them. And when the disciples saw it, they rebuked him. Or rebuked them, sorry. So here we have a group of parents who want their children to be blessed by Jesus. 
And the disciples say they don't have work. In that society, that's the way it is. Children didn't have worth until they reached a certain age and they could join the community. Children were to be seen and not heard. There was the sense that children did not have a standing in the community. They couldn't vote. They couldn't participate fully. And it says these children were perceived by the disciples not to have enough worth to be with Jesus. They kept the children from Jesus. And Jesus rebuked them and said, No, in order to come into the kingdom of God, you've got to have the heart of a child. And the heart of a child is what? Somebody who is teachable, who is eager to please, who, who comes without all the baggage, right? Without all the things. It was the idea that they could come and climb up into his lap. And then a ruler comes. This is the second story. And he comes to Jesus and he basically says, I am the good son. I am the one who is rich, yes, and I've done all of these things. I'm I'm paraphrasing this morning for you. He says, what else do I have to have to have eternal life? He was a person who was seeking God, but he was seeking to make sure that he had assurance that he had done just enough to get in. How many of you go to the theater and overpay for the ticket? Well, we'd do that, wouldn't we? But this man wanted to make sure that he had paid just enough. What else do I have to do to have eternal life? And Jesus says to him, and nobody else, by the way, there aren't many people that Jesus says this to. He says, well, you need to go sell everything you have and come follow me. Wow. Here's a man who relied on his wealth, and it says that he, when he heard these things, it says that he was saddened. And he went away. And what did Jesus say? He said, it is hard for the wealthy to enter into the kingdom of God. Not that it's impossible, but that it's hard. Because there is a self-reliance, there is a a desire to be the, the Lord of their life. And it says it's harder for them to come into the kingdom. It's harder than, than having a camel pass through an eye of a needle. I haven't done much sewing in my days, but I know that the times that I've tried, I got really frustrated trying to thread that needle. And especially since I got bifocals, which makes it even harder. You just don't know quite where to put your head, right? Those of you that have them. My optometrist told me that the next time I come in, he's going to put me in trifocals. I'm not going back. But that'll fix that, right? And then the third story, we have a man by the name of, uh, what's his name again? Do you guys remember? It's not listed for us in this text, but it is in Mark. His name is Bartimaeus, or Bartimaeus. And it says that Bartimaeus positioned himself in such a way that he knew that Jesus would be coming by him on his way to Jericho. And he was begging, and it says that hearing the crowd, I'm in verse 35, sorry, of 18, And hearing the crowd going by, he inquired, what does this mean? And they told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. 
This is the one who has been doing all of the miracles. This is the one that is purported to be the Messiah. This is the one that's on his way to Jerusalem. And when he heard that it was Jesus, he calls out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And those who were in front rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and commanded him to be brought to him. And when he came near, he asked him, What, is it that, what do you want me to do for you? And he said, Lord, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, Recover your sight. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him, glorifying God. And all the people, when they saw it, gave praise to God. Again, there's a group of people who oppose him from being able to go and, and speak with Jesus. They told him to be quiet, that he didn't have the worth. He was a beggar. He had probably been so all of his life. Bartimaeus, this is the way you've always been. Bartimaeus, this is just how things are for you. And this guy's on an important mission. He's going to Jerusalem. Why would you cause him to be slowed down? And it says that Jesus is, saw his faith and healed him. But more importantly, it says that he followed him afterwards. He joined Christ's community. And now we come to the story of Zacchaeus. He entered Jericho and was passing through there, and there was a man named Zacchaeus. And by the way, that's quite interesting, isn't it? That it says Jesus entered Jericho and that he was passing through. There's another story about Jesus passing by or continuing forward. It's in, in, in Mark chapter 6 where Jesus is going to meet the disciples on the water. Do you remember this story? Yeah? If you read it in Mark 6, it actually says that Jesus came walking by the disciples intending to pass them by. Until what? Until they recognized that he was, in fact, Jesus. Because this man was named by Zacchaeus, he was a chief tax collector, and he was rich. So not only is he a tax collector, but he's also rich like their young ruler. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was. He was blind. But on account of the crowd, it says, he could not, because he was a wee little man. That's what the NIV says, right? That he's a wee little man? No? Small of stature. And so he was persistent, and he ran ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him. For he was about to pass that way, and when Jesus came to the place, or as the NIV says, to the spot, to that moment where the two lives interacted, it is the spot. And all of us, I hope, have been to many spots with Jesus. In our car, we have a GPS. Her name is Samantha. She tells me what to do. She tells me when to turn left, when I'm going to do this, and when I'm going to do that. And when we get to our location, she says that I have arrived. I like that. Okay? I like it when somebody tells me I've finally arrived. Yeah? But at this spot, at this intersection... It says that Jesus and Zacchaeus arrived at the place, at the spot, 
So what's the story with Zacchaeus? You know, Jesus had another person who was a tax collector. Do you remember him? Yeah. Matthew was his name. Matthew 9, we hear about Jesus coming by and, and seeing Matthew at the tax collector's table. And Jesus says to do what? Come and join me. Come and follow me. Matthew did. Not only that, it says that Matthew threw a feast for all his friends, the other tax collectors and sinners. Now, I've often wondered, and we really don't have proof for this, but I've often wondered if Zacchaeus heard that story or if, in fact, he might have known somebody or he was there himself at that moment when the banquet was held and Jesus sat down with tax collectors and sinners. Might it be that Zacchaeus understood that Jesus might welcome him and include him? And maybe that's why he was anxious to see this Jesus. And what's interesting is it says that when Jesus gets there, it says that he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down. For I must stay at your house today. The thing that I want us to understand is that Jesus didn't ask him to come have community at his house, at Jesus' house. But he wanted to be at Zacchaeus' house. And when we tie this together with the end of the story, when we hear the story about the minus, I wonder if that's why Luke wrote the way he did asking us whether or not we have brought others with us. Have we crossed over into their world and met them where they have their needs? Have we included them in community? Or have we said, you're welcome to come to my church. You're welcome to come to my set of beliefs. You're welcome to come where I am. But Jesus went where he was. And it's always interesting, isn't it? You know, when I was in college a couple of years ago, you know, a place called Sterling College. Anybody ever heard of Sterling College? Some Tabor people probably are raising their hands because that's one of the rivals, isn't it? That's where I went to school. Okay? I'm hearing bees. Sorry. It's in Sterling, Kansas. And one day there was a young man who came and he had a backpack on and he had been hitchhiking some somewhere back east. Okay? Missouri or someplace. That would be me. Okay. And he was confused. And he looked lost. And we asked him, can we help you? And he says, I need directions to the hospital. Well, Sterling, Kansas did not have a hospital. And I said, well, there's no hospital here. And he says, yes, my grandfather is not doing well, and they told me that I needed to hurry if I wanted to see him one more time. When do you get to the hospital? And he said, I hitched a ride with a fellow, and he told me that he was going right to Sterling's city limits, and he dropped me here, and I needed to see my grandfather. Where's the hospital? Do you know where the hospital is? And after we spoke with him for a while, we realized... It wasn't Sterling, 
Kansas that he wanted. It was Sterling, Colorado. And it didn't matter that he wanted to be in Colorado. He was actually in Kansas. Jesus meets us where we are, not where we think we are or where we want to be. He met Zacchaeus where he was. And as a result of that, it says that Zacchaeus became a follower of Jesus. And he says, if I am going to be with you, that if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I will pay them back. And I'm going to give away half of my wealth because of the lordship that he was expressing. And Jesus says, today salvation has come to this house since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. What I find so interesting about these stories is that at each and every point there is somebody who is pushing back. At each and every one of these stories there are people who are saying, don't bother Jesus with these little children. Or there is this story of, of the rich young ruler who is saying, I'm willing to give you everything that I have, but I want to hold on to my riches. And he's holding back. He's pushing it back. And Jesus says, you've got to sell everything. You have to come into the kingdom with open hands. The story of the blind man who was told to keep his mouth shut, to accept where he was and to accept the position that he had. And there was Zacchaeus who had to go around the crowd and climb a tree in order to see Jesus. But in each case, we hear of God overcoming those who are seeking. In our Sunday school class this morning, we talked a little bit about those who might be seeking the Lord. Do you have people in your life that are seeking God in some way or another? You know, as a pastor, I've watched it over the years. Whenever there is a funeral, I have an opportunity to see into the lives of those who have experienced death or experiencing death in their family. At weddings, and we're talking about why do you want to do it in a church? Why, what does it mean to you that you want to do this before the, the Lord? But I've also been in the secular world where I worked at Mobile Oil and and they would come around to me sometimes and they would say, so I understand that you're a Christian. Can you help me sort out this area of my life? But most of the time, I think that what they are looking for is community, not just worship. They're looking for a place where they can feel a part. When we invite people into our lives, when we go to their world, we bring the light of Jesus Christ. We're called to be difference makers. We're called to bring the kingdom to them. For we are in the kingdom. And the light that we have and the good news that we have is not for us to hoard, or as it says in Matthew, or Luke 19, to put in a handkerchief and hide. But instead, we are to put it in a place where we bring others. One step at a time. One moment at a time. One place at a time. So when we find people who are in a spot, that's when we have the opportunity for them to hear through us 
how God has welcomed us into his community. Because I praise the Lord that God knows me so well and loves me so completely and he welcomes me into his family. I was I think it was in our devotional this morning. You know the song Jesus Loves Me, This I Know? Have you ever heard that one? It was also on the charts, I think. And the author says, you know, really, we ought to sing it this way. Jesus knows me, this I know. Jesus knows me. And he still wants me to be a part of his kingdom, of his tribe. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, today I thank you for placing us where you have. Psalms 139 says that our days have been ordained and that you knew them from the beginning to the end and that we're not here by accident and you have equipped us with our stories and you've equipped us with the good news of Jesus Christ. And today, Father, we come to get equipped in your word and we're reminded of the people that uh, you accepted while others have rejected them. And I think, Father, we've heard a little of their pain and their suffering as they tried to figure out life on their own or to create a community that was less than ideal. And so, Father, today we recognize that we are your ambassadors. We're ministers of reconciliation. Not because of our great talent, but because of our story and because of whom we serve. So, Father, today I thank you for Jesus Christ heading to Jerusalem from the west. I thank you that because he is God, because he was sinless, the, res- the resurrection. And because of that resurrection, I thank you that we have received the Holy Spirit that dwells within us to empower and to equip us and has gifted us so that we might share the good news of Jesus with us. And Heavenly Father, when time runs out for us, may it be said of us that you gave me one life, but here are those that I have impacted for your kingdom. May God be glorified by those that we bring to him. And so, Father, today we open ourselves to be a part of this thing called evangelism, of sharing the good news. And, Father, we, we recognize that there are those around us that we have the opportunity to impact. So our prayer today is that our hearts would be broken as your heart is broken for the lost, and that our eyes would see as you see, and that our feet would go where your feet are. We ask in Christ's name.